I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cancer-related pain affects between 30 and 50% of patients undergoing cancer treatment and more than 70% of patients with advanced disease. Linda Carlson, Enbridge Research Chair in Psychosocial Oncology at the University of Calgary Cummings School of Medicine, is working with digital therapeutics developer Rocket VR Health to study the potential of a virtual reality-guided mindfulness intervention program in adult cancer patients with chronic cancer-related pain. The thinking is that mindfulness could mitigate chronic cancer-related pain by regulating both physical and emotional resistance to it, and that virtual reality could create an immersive environment that could focus patients' attention on present moment experiences, making it easier for them to achieve mindfulness and more effective results. We spoke to Carlson about the problem of chronic pain and cancer, the case for mindfulness, and why the use of virtual reality might provide better outcomes for patients. Linda, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. We're going to talk about meditation, chronic cancer-related pain, and Rocket VR's health's efforts to develop digital medicines to address the problem. Let's start with chronic pain from cancer, though. How much of a problem is this today? Well, you know, uh, it's one of the most frequent symptoms that people with cancer experience both during and even after treatment. So there are different cancer therapies that can lead to chronic cancer-related pain. So there's different types of cancer pain, but we'll see chronic pain uh, post-treatment in anywhere from, oh, I don't know, 20 to 30% of patients, depending on the type of cancer and, and the severity and the sort of treatments they had. There's also the problem with stress and other mental health problems associated with people who have undergone cancer treatments and suffer from cancer. How well addressed are these and why don't they get more attention? Well, I mean, I'm in the field of psychosocial oncology and that really is our whole raison d'etre is to bring awareness, uh, raise awareness around the social and emotional aspects of going through a cancer diagnosis and treatment. And for sure, we see really high levels of anxiety and distress, uh, you know, around the time of diagnosis and through treatment. But for many people, that doesn't resolve uh, when treatment is finished and they continue to, for example, have high levels of fear of recurrence. You know, every ache and pain uh, is mis or interpreted or often misinterpreted as a sign that maybe the cancer is coming back. And so we see lingering symptoms of stress, anxiety, uh, sadness and depression in many patients as well. I take it with that, there's, there's actually a physiological effect from that. Oh, well, sure. I mean, so I study in many ways the mind-body connection and, you know, the idea that any psychosocial or psychological experiencing you're having doesn't affect the body is is kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, we're 
for, you know, we're connected. That's kind of, I always joke and say, you know, that's what your neck is for, right? To connect your brain to the rest of your body. So every, every state of mind has a state of body. You know, you, every time you have an anxious thought or feeling, it triggers off all kinds of cascade of responses throughout your nervous system, your endocrine system, your immune system. We know even now that um, the gut is involved and is affected by our moods and our thoughts and our feelings as well. A lot of people focus on what it's like to to go through cancer, to what it's like to be treated for that. What's it like for patients living with chronic pain and unaddressed mental health issues who are also dealing with cancer? Well, sure. I mean, it can really negatively impact overall quality of life, just like anybody who's dealing with an anxiety disorder, a mood disorder. You know, um, having been through the cancer experience, as I said, it adds on that extra layer of uh, uncertainty about the future, a fear of recurrence of the disease, a feeling of kind of loss of control. So all these existential issues are added on top of just the usual negative impact of coping day to day with high levels of worry, anxiety, sadness, those kind of feelings. And when a cancer patient suffers from pain, how is it generally treated today? Well, and so when we hone in on pain a little bit, you know, these things occur in clusters of symptoms we often talk about. Um, so I'll get to treatment in a second. But, you know, if you've got chronic kind of unrelenting pain that's always there, it also impacts your energy levels. So you may feel more fatigued because uh, dealing with pain is actually kind of exhausting. It may affect your ability to sleep well. So insomnia is also very common. So people aren't sleeping well, they're feeling tired, they've got pain that, you know, wears on your mood. So you can really get quite depressed. So all those things are, they're interconnected, um, both psychologically and through a biopsychosocial kind of physiological connection. And so when we look at treatments for uh, different conditions, you know, pain, typically is treated with uh, different drugs, pharmaceuticals, opioids, or other types of analgesics. Um, you know, and many patients don't respond well to medication, they have the negative side effects, they may interact with other types of medications people are having to take. And so really a preferred approach for, for pain management and treating things like depression and stress tend to be non-pharmacological for many people, both with cancer and without cancer more generally. And how does pain relate to mental health aspects of cancer? Does one drive the other? Do they amplify each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could put it that way. You know, they they kind of co-occur in these clusters. And researchers are still trying to tease apart sort of the temporal sequence of that, you know, what comes first. But say you could imagine someone who's got pain that has been uh, due to some treatments. For example, some of the chemotherapies cause nerve pain or um neuropathic pain, it's called, you know, tingling in hands and feet or something. So if you've got that pain that's more caused by your cancer treatment, as I said, it's going to wear on you and affect your quality of life and can affect your sleep and your mood and, you know, exacerbate all those other kind of problems. So they all do the kind of, um, you know, feed upon one another. You're working with Rocket VR Health to develop a virtual reality guided mindfulness intervention to treat patients suffering from chronic cancer related pain. What is mindfulness? What's meant by that term? 
Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and the reason we're doing that just to step back a bit is that really it's there are no excellent evidence based treatments for chronic pain at all. So mindfulness is one approach that people have been investigating um, in different ways to see if it might help people cope with pain. Um, and so mindfulness, we would define as just present moment, uh, focused attention or awareness with an attitude of non-judgment and compassion and kindness. So there's kind of, you can think of mindfulness in two ways. One is a way of being in the world. So you can be more or less present and mindful and paying attention, no matter what you're doing. You know, you could be just going throughout your day working or, you know, doing housework and you can, you know, be paying attention to it, being mindful, or your mind can be wandering and drifting around, right? So it's a way of being in the world, but it's also a practice, mindfulness meditation, that we use to enhance our capacity to be mindful. Because I often say, you know, mindfulness is very simple, but it is by no means easy because our minds have been conditioned throughout our lives to really be jumping around. We often use the the idea of a monkey mind, you know, sort of this monkey jumping from branch to branch, you know, kind of frenetically um, and not really focused in the present moment. So when you look at where people's minds are, just to, to finish elaborating the point, you know, often our thoughts are in the past and we might be having regrets, right? And saying, why me? Or if only this or shoulda, coulda, woulda. Or your thoughts are racing to the future and worrying about all the terrible things that might happen and how things can go wrong and getting you quite stressed out. The practice of mindfulness, what does it do to the experience of pain? In some ways, does it have the odd effect of removing you from it as and, and making you an observer? Um, sort of. So we want to make the distinction between distracting yourself from the pain, which can sometimes be helpful if it's short term or acute pain. Um, but a mindfulness approach is more a turning towards rather than turning away from whatever is happening in our experience. So with pain, often we think about a kind of an equation where suffering, total suffering from pain equals the pain itself, the sensation of pain times are multiplied by our resistance. So S equals P times R, pain times resistance to pain. And our resistance to pain can be both a physical resistance in the body by, for example, tensing and trying to protect the painful area. It can also be psychological resistance, hating the pain, wishing it would go away, thinking I can't live like this, right? So these forms of resistance are what we can work with in a mindfulness practice, which in turn will reduce the overall level of suffering caused by whatever the painful sensation is, if that makes sense. This type of mindfulness is usually achieved through a practice of meditation, something that usually involves getting away from technology and and just being wholly present in the moment. Why do we need to bring technology into this? How does this enhance or assist the process? Yeah, and actually, I don't think we know at this point that we do need to bring technology into it. But as I said, practicing mindfulness and meditation is simple, but it's not easy. Um, It requires, it's a skill that a person needs to build up over time through practice. And often we can learn that skill, um, you know, through a daily practice in times when we're not suffering as much, it's easier. When we're in the midst of what John Kabat-Zinn would call the full catastrophe, 
and he's the founder of some of these mindfulness-based approaches, and his book is called Full Catastrophe Living. You know, what he's getting at there is that these practices can help you in the midst of the storm, you know, whatever you're dealing with. But sometimes that's not the best time to begin because it's hard. It's challenging to learn a new way of approaching your life, of directing your attention. And so I see these approaches like virtual reality is almost like a, an aid, you know, a shortcut, if you will, uh, to get to enhance the capacity to, to pay attention using, you know, when we talk about virtual reality, um, using those visual cues to help keep a person engaged, right? Because the practice of mindfulness meditation is really just focusing on something. It might be your breath, we often use as a focus, or it might be the painful area in the body. Um, and when your mind wanders, you direct your attention back and then you're applying things like releasing tension, accepting um, different attitudes that we that we help to cultivate. But the virtual reality being more engaging, the, the idea is that potentially that's going to help people stay with the focus that we're trying to learn through the mindfulness practice. From a medical point of view, what do we know about the physiological changes that meditation can bring about? Uh, well, we know a lot about that, actually. So uh, my group and many others have been you know, taking all sorts of biosamples from people participating in our, our mindfulness programs, which usually require training over two or three months. You know, so we might take a blood sample, uh, our saliva sample before and after the program and look at things like stress hormones. So we would look at cortisol secretion. That's one of the stress hormones. We might look at immune function through cytokines. Um, I've done things like look at blood pressure and how that's affected over the course of a program. Uh, we've also done things like even look at telomere length, which is uh, a DNA marker of cell aging on the chromosomes. We've also done work recently looking at gene expression. Uh, so there's many different ways to measure what's happening in the body um, when we do these practices. And across the board, really, uh, what we see is that, you know, meditation does get under the skin and it does affect many of these different systems, immune, endocrine, um, in ways that are that are measurable and can be substantive. And how about in terms of the mental changes or behavioral changes oh, yeah. that can they bring about? For sure. I mean, those have been documented for decades now. Um, you know, we did our first study on mindfulness meditation for people living with cancer back in 1998, you know, and from that time on, there's been uh, dozens and dozens of clinical trials around the world um, showing, you know, moderate to large size improvements in anxiety, depression, anger, stress symptoms, fatigue, sleep, you know, all those myriad problems that people are often contending with when they've had a cancer diagnosis. So we know without a doubt that it, it's um, grade A, you know, level one scientific evidence um, supporting that these types of mindfulness training programs, the traditional ones, um, will improve these outcomes. You're conducting a study of Rocket VR Health's virtual reality guided mindfulness for cancer patients and survivors. How, how does the study work? So this is a pilot study. Um, it's a very new form of application using virtual reality, uh, specifically for, for helping to manage chronic pain. And so it's a small sample we have developed in cooperation with Rocket, um, a series of 
mindfulness exercises. So there's guided audio and there's standard kind of mindfulness meditation exercises targeted to pain and to relaxation and then pair them with different um, visual scenes that that rocket built that kind of fit with the theme of the meditation. And so people, um, there's seven different meditations. And so the people use them um, over the course of six weeks. So they cycle through, you know, a different meditation every day. And they're short, about 10 to 15 minutes. And then we're measuring um, before they start the program and afterwards measuring a whole bunch of indices of of pain and uh, different psychosocial symptoms, quality of life, sleep, that sort of thing. And then afterward, we're also doing interviews with all the participants to really get that firsthand perspective on what they thought about the device, the program itself, you know, how it impacted their pain, um, what kind of suggestions they would make for improvements. So really just a single group pre-post mixed methods, quantitative, qualitative design to get a handle on, you know, what the experience is like for these people. And what's known about the use of VR from the work that's been done to date? Well, there hasn't been a lot of work in cancer with VR and and specifically not with chronic pain at all. Um, There has been some work with other chronic pain populations showing, you know, promise and some potential. Uh, Within cancer, VR has really only been used more as a distraction technique for some procedural types of pain. You know, when people are having to get a biopsy and that sort of thing, it seems to be effective. But this is really the first foray into, you know, looking at chronic post-treatment related cancer pain. Are you using any kind of control for the study? Um, So this is just a single group pre-post. So when we develop interventions, that's um, the process that we typically use is first start out with a mixed method where we do some qualitative interviewing. Um, We just look to see if there's kind of what we would call a signal. You know, does it look like there's promise for this intervention pre to post um, without having a no treatment or, you know, some kind of comparison group? And so if we do see a signal and it seems like... um, from talking to participants, it's it's benefiting their pain. Then we would move on to a larger study with, you know, a kind of more rigorous design. And would this require any kind of regulatory approval or? Uh, not that I'm aware of. What do you think the potential here is to change the way we treat the pain and mental health issues associated with cancer? Well, people are really looking for non-pharmacological, non-drug solutions for pain. And so I think if this proves to be beneficial for, you know, a certain segment of the population or for a certain type of pain, uh, people are going to be very excited about that. Um, So I think it has a lot of potential, but we're still really in early phases. And is there any reason to think this benefits would be limited to cancer-related pain? I mean, are... Is there any mm-hmm. effort to look beyond that to, to other types of chronic pain? Yeah, I mean, I know there has been some research groups looking at, like, for example, chronic low back pain, which is the most common type of chronic pain syndrome. And also headache is very common. Um, and I know there has been some promising research in chronic low back pain with virtual reality. So I, I don't think there's any reason to think it wouldn't generalize to other types of pain. Um, but we specifically have been looking within a cancer population. Linda Carlson, the Enbridge Research Chair in Psychosocial Oncology at the University of Calgary at the Cummings School of Medicine and Medical Advisor to Rocket VR Health. Linda, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. 
To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. <laughs>